That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Well, greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. You know, there's good news and bad news. The good news is that more and more of the world is getting vaccinated. More and more of America is getting vaccinated. The bad news is that this new variant of the COVID uh, virus that popped up first in South Africa and has now appeared in, in numerous countries, and I believe has appeared in the United States, the AstraZeneca vaccine only is 10% effective against it. In fact, in South Africa, they have stopped the rollout of the uh, Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. Pfizer, the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine, they're saying that still works against the variant. And if I'm remembering correctly, the Pfizer vaccine is the one that requires the dry ice cooling and the uh, AstraZeneca just requires the cooling, although I may have them backward, all these companies. But so this is one of the reasons why it's so important to get the virus under control all around the world. It's, It's one of the reasons why it was so important to control it in the beginning here in the United States and elsewhere. It's one of the reasons why the failure of the Chinese Communist government to acknowledge it and putting a whistleblower in jail or punishing him and all that kind of stuff was, you know, such a horrible crime. And, you know, I get it that that was Donald Trump's hobby horse, but even a stopped clock is right twice a day. Not to say that all of his attacks on China were right, but uh, this virus should not have gone around the world the way it did. And now it's mutating to become more effective, more contagious, and more deadly. We know now that the British variant, which is spreading rapidly in the United States, is doubling every seven to nine days, the number of this, which means that by the end of next month, it's going to be the major virus variant in the United States. This new virus, this B117 variant, a cloth mask is no protection. You've got to use a KN95 or an N95 mask, a real respirator mask. And being just six feet away from somebody is not necessarily enough. And we know now that this new variant, you know, the old original COVID tended not to spread through entire buildings, through ventilation systems. This new one can. So let's be, let's, we need to double down on being careful. Double down and asking people to, hey, back up, please. Hey, put your mask on, put it on tight, put it on right, wearing your own masks. If you don't have KN95 masks, get some. 
you know, they're all over the place. You can buy them from all different kinds of places. One of our sponsors sells them, but they're also on Amazon and they're, you know, they're, they're not hard to find any longer. It costs two or three bucks typically a piece. Uh, you can use, Louise and I have been using one actually that, because uh, we use, we, you know, we carry them when we go on our walks. We've been using a couple of them for, seems like several months now. And some of them, you know, are designed even to be washed and things like that. But this is uh, scary stuff. The official news here, this uh, Eric Feigelding, who was on this program, uh, what, week before last, uh, just tweeted this, a surging B-117 within the U.S. It's growing 7% a day, doubling every 9.8 days nationally, and expected to become dominant by March 23rd. It is surging fastest in Florida, doubling every 9.1 days. Scientists are extremely worried. It's 35 to 45% more transmissible. And, of course, uh, Florida is where we just had this giant football game with 20,000 people in the stands. Uh, none of this good stuff. And I have a horrible feeling that we're going to see the consequences of this coming out soon. I was just horrified. And in fact, I, it motivated me to write my uh, Saturday op-ed for Medium.com about how they're at it again. The Republicans are at it again. They're saying Democrats can't be Santa Claus. We get to be the tax cut Santa Claus, us Republicans, but those Democrats, they cannot be Santa Claus. No way, not allowed. Instead, what they have to, <laughs> what they have to do is cut back. You know, they, well, Pat Toomey, Senator Republican, Pennsylvania Republican Senator Pat Toomey, who is going to retire, but clearly he's going to retire into some, you know, cushy million dollar a year corporate job as Republicans tend to do when they leave Congress was saying we shouldn't give anything, not 1400 not 300 not 60 bucks, not $10. We should give nothing to the states. We should give nothing to the cities. To hell with the police departments and fire departments and EMTs that are overwhelmed and are going to be even more overwhelmed as this new B117 variant starts sweeping across the United States over the next six weeks. He was basically saying, screw them all. And Jake Tapper never asked the question or never pointed out, aren't you just saying that because, you know, like Mitch McConnell said early on in the Obama administration, my main job is to make Barack Obama one-term president. Aren't you just saying that because you want to hurt Joe Biden? Aren't you just saying that because you want President Biden to fail? Aren't you just saying that because you want the economy to continue to suck? Because that'll help, you know, then Republicans can come along in 2022 and say, well, you know, you elected the Democrats, you put them in charge of the White House, the Senate, and the House, and they didn't do a damn thing. Put us in charge, we'll fix everything. That's what they say every time they screw things up and they get a chance to come back in. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Tom Hartman here with you, and we're going to do a National Progressive Town Hall meeting with Representative Andy Levin. He represents the 9th District of Michigan, member of the House Committee on Education and Labor, also on the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Most importantly, what the price of admission to this program, he's a member of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. His website, Andy Levin, A-N-D-Y-L-E-V-I-N dot house dot gov, and you can tweet him at rep. Andy Levin. And uh, Representative Levin, welcome to the program. It's great having you. It's nice meeting you, and thanks for joining us today. So first of all, I grew up in Michigan. I remember Sandor Levin. Are you related to him? Because I thought he was the 9th District of Michigan as well at one point. Yes. So Sandy Levin's my dad. Carl Levin's my uncle. Uh, My dad's... I remember Carl. 
36 years and my uncle for 36 years in the Senate. And those two oh, uh, Jewish boys from Detroit were the longest-serving siblings in the 230-year history of the United States Congress by far. And they're both retired. That's amazing. Yeah, and they, they were both really, really good guys. So by way of introducing yourself to our audience, let me just toss it to you, who you are, how you got into politics, why you're here, if we can do that in just two or three minutes, and then we'll just pick up phone calls for the rest of the hour. So, sir, uh, your introduction. Well, yeah, so I didn't run for Congress till I was 58 years old. I spent my life doing a lot of other things. I was a union organizer, first and foremost. I organized nursing home workers and other health care workers with SEIU for five years, and then I was supposed to get a Ph.D. and become a professor of Buddhist philosophy. I Whoa. got a Mellon Fellowship in the Humanities and took it to the University of Michigan. I uh, went to, uh, and, and I ended up getting a master's degree, but between college, a year in India, and graduate school, I spent quite a bit of time in India, and I was in China, actually, during the Tiananmen Massacre. Got very involved in human rights. I also got involved in Haitian human rights in Haiti uh, when I was organizing with SEIU. Um, part of the time I was in Boston, not in Michigan, and a plurality of workers in any nursing home in the in the, that part of Massachusetts is a, are Haitians. So I learned to speak Haitian Creole, and I got all that's a whole other thing. Then I went to Harvard Law School, where I was the president of the Harvard Labor Law Project, and was very involved in uh, refugees, help, helping refugees seek asylum. Uh, ran the field operation of the campaign of the just dearly departed John Sweeney to be president of the AFL-CIO, and then for 11 years, I was the assistant director of organizing at the AFL-CIO. After that, for four years, I ran the workforce system of the state of Michigan uh, with Jennifer Granholm, created a huge program to help un- and underemployed workers get, go, back, go back to school called No Worker Left Behind, and there's a lot more about that. And then for the eight years in between uh, the, my time with the state of Michigan and running for Congress, I created and ran a clean energy finance market in Michigan to help businesses and nonprofits do radical energy makeovers of their buildings. So I'm kind of like basically a lifelong uh, labor guy, lifelong environmental person, clean energy, um, human rights. That's kind of my background. I'm basically, Tom, I'm somebody whose heroes, I mean, you know, obviously I look up to my dad and uncle and other, Adlai Stevenson or any number of, of, you know, FDR, but... Really, my heroes are more Gandhi and FDR and Cesar Chavez and other people who use creative, nonviolent, direct action to garner the forces of the people to demand change in this world. And that's that's what I believe. I'm impressed and I'm pleased and honored to have you on the program. So let's pick up some phone calls, okay? Absolutely. And ready to go. Okay. Kirk in uh, Bremerton, Washington. You are on the air with Representative Andy Levin. Brother Levin, Representative Levin, it's great to learn of your um, labor background. Um, I'm a retired UPS driver and a proud Teamster and a member of Teamsters for a Democratic Union. Um, you probably heard of them in Detroit. Of course. Tom mentioned that Bernie was passing along the news that the CBO has determined that raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour will cost $54 billion a year to the budget. And as a result, that will become able to be passed through reconciliation. I'm thrilled to hear that. I'm also very concerned because we've seen the movie before where uh, Democrats are out of power. They talk 
really powerfully about changing labor law. And then when we gain power and we have the ability to pass that, they get weak knees. That happened in the blue wave in the mid-2000s with card check. Given your perfectly appropriate background as uh, the family member of senators and congresspeople, how do we avoid that happening this time around? Because changing the minimum wage to $15 an hour will be a sea change in the American economy for people who work for a living. Thank you, Kirk. Great. Well, so my brother, first of all, I I like that the CBO score says that raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour will have a budgetary impact. However, I passionately disagree with the analysis. So in other words, they what they are willing to consider and not consider makes them think it will hurt the budget when I am quite sure it would significantly help the budget because 27 million American workers would get a raise, 1.3 million Americans, would, kids and, and, and adults, would be pulled out of poverty. All those increased wages mean higher tax revenue. All those people no longer in poverty mean the less need to spend on social programs. So <laughs> I'm with Bernie 100% about we are going to keep this in the package. We're fighting super hard. It's a difficult fight. I'm not going to lie to you. But uh, we, need to, we need to keep it in the package. Now, in terms of your idea about the Democrats talk big when they're out of power and when they're not in power, when I was at the AFL-CIO from 1995 to 2006, the first thing I did was create and run Union Summer. And then there was a period when I organized and helped support multi-union organizing campaigns in San Antonio, Seattle, L.A., different places, Stanford, Connecticut. But the last part, I created and ran the Voice at Work campaign to stand up the Employee Free Choice Act, the exact legislation you're talking about. And 100 years ago, I was the staff attorney for President Clinton's Labor Law Reform Commission. So I have lived and watched the failure of the Carter administration, the Clinton administration, and the Obama administration, the three Democratic presidents of the last 50 years, or 40 years, to get fundamental labor law reform done. And not only do we need to pass the Raise the Wage Act to $15 an hour, with no sub-minimums for tipped workers, by the way, who are disproportionately women and women of color in particular, we really need to uh, pass fundamental labor law reform, the PRO Act. And I'm gonna, that's my number one legislative priority, and I'm going to fight like hell to do it. That's great. Congressman Andy Levin is taking your calls for the hour in our National Progressive Town Hall meeting here on the Tom Hartman Program. He represents the 9th District of Michigan. Levin.house.gov is the website. You can tweet him at RepAndyLevin. This is the Tom Hartman Program. So drop onto Twitter and say, hi, Rep. Andy Levin, and we will be back with more of your calls for him in just a moment. Anthony, you're on the air in Detroit, Michigan. You're on the air with Representative Levin. Hi, Congressman Levin. How's it going? I just wanted to ask, you know, I know you guys are going to be limited in what you can really get done with the, the filibuster and have to do whatever a reconciliation. I don't, I don't really understand what that is, but 
What pieces of the legislative agenda are you looking to get passed that way? Great question, Anthony. Well, so as I mentioned a minute ago, I really am fighting for the $15 an hour to be included in the reconciliation package. And by the way, it's a gradual uh, increase. So small businesses have predictability over several years. So we get every worker in America up to $15 an hour. Senator Elizabeth Warren and I introduced last Congress and we're reintroducing, we just reintroduced the Coronavirus Containment Corps Act, the president has said he wants 100,000 more public health workers. I absolutely want this bill in the package. Uh, we lost 50,000 public health workers since the Great Recession. This would be a great jobs program. It would put 100,000 people to work. And, Anthony, we need to hire people from each community reflecting the full diversity of the communities and with the language ability necessary. So, for example, in my district, which is just north of Detroit, we need people who speak Chaldean and Arabic. Well, most people in America might never have heard of Chaldean. It's, it's, what, it's an Aramaic language that Iraqi Catholics speak. You know, I'm the world center of that outside of Iraq. Well, in some other part of the country, they need Spanish and Vietnamese. So we, it's really a chance to hire local people to do this work. We need to get more money to the American people. We need to increase and lengthen unemployment insurance. We need money for our local governments, our state governments, our public schools. Um, we need more nutrition assistance for everything from kids to seniors. There's a lot we're hoping to get into this package. The president's marker of $1.9 trillion isn't bad, and we're going to try to what reconciliation does force us to do, Anthony, is the Senate and the House to really have our act together with each other about what we put in and not to include things that the Senate parliamentarian would strike because they, they aren't budget related. So we're going to try to thread that needle to make sure we get something that could pass on reconciliation. Now, the filibuster, Tom, you know, we could talk about that. I think we ought to do away with it. And my beloved uncle doesn't agree with Amen. me, by the way. <laughs> but, who doesn't agree uh, with you? Uh, my uncle Carl, who's a kind of a oh. a traditionalist. You know, he was a, a senator yeah. but, uh, for a long time. But I think that um, many of the current senators have the better of the argument that really, if you really look at the history of it, it, it it's steeped in racism. It's steeped in slavery itself and the, and the desire to keep slavery. Oh, yeah. John, John C. Calhoun. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, and and anyway, we so I think we ought to do away with the filibuster, but I don't know what the odds are of that with just 50 Democratic senators. Yeah. At least it was used exclusively from from the. Forgive my interruption, but we're going to hit a break here in a second. From the 1830s, when John C. Calhoun got that into the Senate rules, until after the Civil War, it was used exclusively to block discussion of slavery and abolition on the floor. And from 1865 to 1964, it was used exclusively to fight civil rights legislation. I mean, that should be enough to tell anybody what's going on. Hello. Anyhow, Congressman Andy Levin. Congressman Andy Levin is with us. He'll be right back. Representative Andy Levin of the 9th District of Michigan, a member of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, is with us on our National Progressive Town Hall meeting. 
And uh, Abby in La Crosse, Wisconsin, you are on the air with Representative Levin. Hi, Tom. Hi, Congressman. Every time I hear discussion of the minimum wage, I keep screaming, I want there to be an asterisk on the $15 an hour. Because I've been through, I've lived long enough to see this cycle that we want the minimum wage to be at a certain level. But by the time we get there, so many years have passed that inflation has rendered it practically meaningless. So what I want that asterisk to say is that it's based on $2016 adjusted for inflation. We don't stop raising it until we get Get to fifteen dollars as equivalent to what it was in twenty sixteen. Well, that's a good point, Bobby. I would say that our legislation goes much of the way towards what you want, but not all of the way, because it is indexed for inflation, but it's not good. indexed back. So it's it would it would keep over time. But, you know, I think you're, you, you raise a really good point, and our $15 an hour in 2025 is not going to be the same as $15 an hour in 2016, although inflation is very, very low by historical standards, has been for a couple of years, and if that continued, the difference wouldn't be too extreme. But you raise a really good point. Ken, in Woodbridge, Virginia, you're on the air with Representative Levin. Yes, sir. Um uh, lovely talking to you guys. I um, appreciate you taking my call. My question was about um, the um, minimum uh, the the um, minimum hourly wage. Okay, if you're a part time worker, say like um, minimum hourly wage is ten dollars an hour. Okay, if you're a part time worker, you don't get that ten dollars an hour until you work those forty hours. So a lot of those employers they'll work you like thirty. 38, 39 hours just so they don't have to pay you full-time wages. And on top of that, because you're not working full-time, they don't give you any benefits. What can be done to uh, ensure that part-time workers have health insurance and the, and the uh, full-time wages along with everybody else having living wages? Thank you. I'll, I'll listen. Well, that's a great point. So there's a couple different strands to it. First of all, I'm a big backer of Medicare for All. I don't think your health insurance should have anything to do with your job. I think it's a basic human right, and every American from cradle to grave should have health insurance, which means your body, mental health, dental, vision, everything. Um, In terms of wages, the Fair Labor Standard Act does cover part-time workers, even very part-time. So... If your state has a higher minimum wage than the federal minimum wage, or if you are only subject to the federal minimum wage, either way, you must be paid the minimum wage for every single hour you work. And there's a lot of, the, the, there's not enough enforcement of that, but that is the law um, specific to that. Now, the, the PRO Act that I mentioned earlier, the Protecting the Right to Organize Act, would tackle this problem of the massive number of workers who are misclassified as independent contractors or for whom the, the boss tries to get out of being responsible by, the, by creating a franchisee, franchisor arrangement, the joint employer situation. So, for example, McDonald's as a corporation and the franchise you work for are both responsible. We could organize all of McDonald's at once and McDonald's is responsible for your conditions at each restaurant. That's what would be the case with the PRO Act. So we got to get that done, Tom. 
That is great. Tim in Shelby Township, Michigan. We have a minute and a half to the break. You're on the air with Representative Levin. Okay. Uh, just to let you know, I've attended, when we could, attended a number of Democratic events with Representative Levin, and he's a great, proud representative for the progressive wing. Now, what can we do from a national standpoint to change Macomb County back to a blue county? That is, Tom, Macomb, you probably have even heard of Macomb County. If you, you know, if you see national reporters trying to write about the so-called white working class, Macomb County is the number one place they go. It's almost two-thirds of my district. It's the place where the term Reagan Democrat was coined. And my answer to Tim is, let's not just talk about a laundry list of progressive ideas. We have to implement them. So if we pass $15 an hour, Pro, the PRO Act, uh, universal uh, child care and preschool, uh, a tax system that actually makes the rich pay their fair share and doesn't make the working person bear the whole load, S- fund Social Security into the 21st century and make millionaires and billionaires pay at the same rate as everybody else does. I think if we pass... Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity. And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. A a kitchen table economic agenda like that, it would go a long way towards, towards making Macomb County blue again. The factors Tom talked about and about his book are, are real. And so some people will never get back, but I really think Combs County voters just want someone who will help them reach the American dream again. Congressman Andy Levin is with us for the hour in our National Progressive Town Hall meeting, taking your calls. We'll be back on the other side of this break here at the bottom of the hour. You can tweet him at Rep. Andy Levin, his website, levin.house.gov. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. And we will be right back with more of your calls for Congressman Andy Levin. Stick around.
It's the Tom Hartman University Book Club. Today we're reading from Donut Economics, brand new book by Kate Raworth, Seven Ways to Think Like a 21st Century Economist. And on page 21 in the uh, Who Wants to Be an Economist chapter, Seven Ways to Think Like a 21st Century Economist, here they are. Whether you consider yourself an economic veteran or novice, now is the time to uncover the economic graffiti that lingers in all of our minds. And if you don't like what you find, scrub it out, or better still, paint it over with new images that far better serve our needs and times. The rest of this book proposes seven ways to think like a 21st century economist, revealing for each of those seven ways the spurious image that has occupied our minds, how it has come to be so powerful, and the damaging influence it has had. The time for mere critique is past, which is why the focus here is on creating new images that capture the essential principles to guide us now. The diagrams in this book aim to summarize that leap from old to new economic thinking. Taken together, they set out, quite literally, a new big picture for the 21st century economist. So here is a whirlwind tour of the ideas and images at the heart of donut economics. First, change the goal. For over 70 years, economics has been fixated on GDP, or national output, as its primary measure of progress. That fixation has been used to justify extreme inequalities of income and wealth, coupled with unprecedented destruction of the living world. For the 21st century, a far bigger goal is needed, meeting the human needs of every person within the means of our life-giving planet. And that goal is encapsulated in the concept of the donut. The challenge now is to create economies, local to global, that help to bring all of humanity into the donut's safe and just space. Instead of pursuing ever-increasing GDP, it's time to discover how to thrive in balance. Second, see the big picture. Mainstream economics depicts the whole economy with just one extremely limited image, the circular flow diagram. Its limitations have, furthermore, been used to reinforce a neoliberal narrative about the efficiency of the market, the incompetence of the state, the domesticity of the household, and the tragedy of the commons. It is time to draw the economy anew, embedding it within society and within nature and powered by the sun. This new depiction invites new narratives about the power of the market, the partnership of the state, the core role of the household, and the creativity of the commons. Third, nurture human nature. At the heart of 20th century economics stands the portrait of rational economic man. He has told us that we are self-interested, isolated, calculating, fixed in taste, and dominant over nature. And his portrait has shaped who we have become. But human nature is far richer than this. As early sketches of our new self-portrait reveal, we are social, interdependent, approximating, fluid in values, and dependent upon the living world. What's more, it is indeed possible to nurture human nature in ways that give us a far greater chance of getting into the donut's safe and just space. Fourth, get savvy with systems. The ironic crisscross of the market supply and demand curves is the first diagram that every economic student encounters but it is rooted in misplaced 19th century metaphors of mechanical equilibrium. A far smarter starting point for understanding the economy's dynamism is systems thinking, summed up by a simple pair of feedback loops. Putting such dynamics at the heart of economics opens up many new insights, from the boom and bust of financial markets to the self-reinforcing nature of economic inequality and the tipping points of climate change. It's time to stop searching for the economy's elusive control levers and start rewarding it as an ever-evolving, complex system. Fifth, designed to distribute. 
In the 20th century, one simple curve, the Kuznets curve, whispered a powerful message on inequality. It has to get worse before it can get better, and growth will eventually get it, make it up, or even it up. But inequality, it turns out, is not an economic necessity. It is a design failure. 21st century economists will recognize that there are many ways to design economies to be far more distributive of the value that they generate, an idea best represented as a network of flows. It means that going beyond redistributing income to exploring ways to redistributing wealth, particularly the wealth that lies in controlling land, enterprise, technology, knowledge, and the power to create money. Sixth, create to regenerate. Economic theory has long portrayed a clean environment as a luxury good, affordable only for the well-off. This view was reinforced by the environmental Kuznets curve, which once again whispered that pollution has to get worse before it can get better and growth will eventually clean it up. But there is no such law. Ecological degradation is simply the result of degenerative industrial design. This century needs economic thinking that unleashes regenerative design in order to create a circular, not linear, economy and to restore humans as full participants to Earth's cyclical processes of life. Seventh, be agnostic about growth. One diagram in economic theory is so dangerous that it's actually never drawn, the long-term path of GDP growth. Mainstream economics views endless economic growth as a must, but nothing in nature grows forever, and the attempt to buck that trend is raising tough questions in high-income but low-growth countries. The book, Donut Economics. Welcome back. Representative Andy Levin of Michigan, of the uh, 9th District of Michigan, Northern Detroit is, or just Northern Detroit, is on the line with us taking your calls for the hour. It's our progressive national town hall meeting. He's a member of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. And uh, let's uh, pick up your phone calls here. Dave in Inverness, Florida, you are on the air with Representative Levin. Hello there, Congressman Levin. I'm originally from Toledo, by the way, so we're like neighbors. But anyways, I've been trying to get through the Tom's program here for for a while now, and uh, it's regarding the uh, you know the dismantling of our. And I know they did it here in Florida, and uh, I'm going to tell you a real quick story. I received uh, 14 calls from the uh, Republican. I'm a registered Democrat, urging me to vote by mail. I received two applications to vote by mail by those people, and two of the calls, by the way, were from Donald Jr. But they, they called me because I didn't fill out the forms for, for application for the mail-in votes. I, I voted, my wife and I both voted in person because I don't trust them. There was a reason why the, why would the Republicans have been urging me to vote by mail and then, disc- and then say it's a hoax to vote by mail. Secondly, they, you know, they dismantled their uh, mail sorting equipment in Jacksonville, Florida. So uh, I, I think this is important, you know, enough to topic to get, because I don't want them to screw up the next uh, election. <laughs> So what do, you, what do you think we could do so about your, it? So your issue is the post office, too. Oh, yeah. I talked to the, my, my mail lady. She says everything's delayed by about a week at least, week to 10 days. Okay. Thank you, Dave. Congressman? Well, Dave, those are both great points. Um, in terms of the po- U.S. Postal Service, I mean, the US, you know, the first postmaster general or postmaster was, was Ben Franklin. The postmaster's right in the Constitution, and we uh, simply don't need the Republican Party trying to underfund the Postal Service. They put ridiculous 
uh, shackles on them by making them pre-fund retiree health care beyond what any part of the government or private sector does. And now that we have this uh, postmaster general DeJoy in there uh, trying to dismantle the Postal Service, which, by the way, is almost all union employees, members of the letter carriers and the postal workers union and so forth, which are great unions. So we need to stick up for the post office. However, it we mail-in balloting worked, and there weren't problems with it on a, on a large scale. So, for example, in Michigan, we had 3.5 million of 5.5 million votes being cast absentee, mostly through the mail, some in drop boxes or voting early at the clerk, at your local clerk. And so, um, you know, while we need to keep improving it, uh, it's, it's an important right I think everybody should have to be able to vote safely at home during a pandemic, Lord knows. Um, in terms of what you're talking about, basically, the Republican Party before Donald Trump decided that in order for them to win elections, they wanted as few people as possible to vote. They've been preventing, they've, they've prevented most people from voting right from the beginning of this republic. All women Men, white men who didn't have property, all people of color, you know, they counted uh, slaves as three-fifths of a person, obviously, and didn't let them vote. So it's been a long struggle to get everybody the right to vote in this country. And right now, the Republicans continue to try to restrict access to the ballot box, and we've got to fight them every step of the way. Our new John Lewis Act uh, is, would do this in many different ways. Um, and it's our, you know, it's it's HR one, so it's our top priority to stop purges, stop poll taxes, uh, have public financing of campaigns, no more gerrymandering. It would improve our democracy in many different ways. And you're just you're you're absolutely right that state legislatures in Florida and around the country uh, didn't like the fact that Donald Trump lost by seven million votes. And so they just want to make it harder for people to vote. That is so anti-democratic with a small d, and we can't let it happen, and we're not going to let it happen. Andy in Hoosick Falls, New York, you're on the air with Representative Levin. Hi, Congressman. Um, I'm a union man myself, and it's uh, great to hear from a, a labor advocate as yourself. And uh, I want to talk about my uh, daughter. She's been uh, first and second grade now. It's been almost exclusively hybrid learning. And uh, she doesn't get uh, lesson plans when she's at home from her teachers. Uh, she gets her assignments through these very large educational website companies. And um, I see this as, uh, I'm grateful for it now because we wouldn't have had this 10 years ago. But uh, when this pandemic is over, what I see is the possibility of this as a threat to uh, not only my tax dollars going into the local school system, which is what I prefer, but I also see it as a threat to um, the education uh, aspect of this as far as the uh, teachers go. We call it in my job dumbing down the craft. You know, you take the uh, technology uh, out of the hands of the people um, who are working and uh, they lose the ability like uh, to, to give decent lesson plans. I, I don't hear a lot of this uh, topic. What, what are we going to do in the future about this possible um, competition with our uh, local school teachers uh, because of uh, what's happened here with this crisis? What, what's your input on it? 
Well, Andy, it's so important. And I got to tell you, I come from ground zero of horrible education policy. In Michigan, uh, parents can send their kids to an online school, like from first grade, no restrictions, and all the tax dollars go to that school with very little quality control, and it, it, the outcomes are horrible. Um, I, I think that this pandemic has shown that kids need uh, in-person schooling, that they need the social education, they need the individualized health, kids with disabilities, English language learners, hungry kids need meals at schools, There's, you know, poor kids need to be able to help to catch up. I mean, there are so many reasons that we need to get back to in-person learning when it's safe to do so. But I agree with you that we have to be very uh, careful to make sure uh, that we are supporting public education in the right way. Here's the way I look at it, Andy. Taxpayer dollars should be used for public schools, and what our education policy should be about is offering an excellent public school education to every kid. And it's more expensive to teach English language learners, kids with disabilities, and poor kids. Let's, you know, in terms of the federal government, let's, and I'm on the, not only the Education Labor Committee, but now for this Congress on the uh, Early Childhood Elementary and Secondary Education Subcommittee of that. And I think we need to fully fund IDEAs. We've never done it in the Congress. We're supposed to pay for 40% of the cost of individualized learning programs for kids with disabilities. We hover in the low teens. It's a disgrace. So we need to fully fund that and give schools extra help for, um, for kids with, uh, with, who are learning English and poor kids. And our infrastructure program needs to give a big assist to schools to update their buildings and including their HVAC systems, which are not filtering the air, circulating the air adequately to deal with COVID. And we will have future public health crises. Doing all this creates great jobs, mostly union jobs, Let's go build, have a huge infrastructure program to put Americans back to work. That's what I, how I see it. Darcel in Leland, North Carolina. Darcel, we have just one minute to the break. A quick question, please. Yes, I was wondering if the representative knew anything about the Senior Community Service Employment Program. I was over-resourced by $1,000 with a, a family of three, and I was wondering if he knew about it, because I'm looking for opportunities as a senior for work. Um, I don't know about that, Darcel, so I promise I'll look into it. Um, there's Through tremendous the aid. of Labor. Yeah, I'll look into it. Uh, say the name of it one more time. The Senior Community Service Employment Program, and it's, being, it's under the Department of Labor. Great. Um, well, we, we can look into, um, into that, and it sounds like a great program. All I can tell you is that in my community, uh, seniors face a lot of discrimination in trying to find employment. We know that half the people in this country can't deal with a $400 economic crisis. A lot of seniors need to work, and we need to help them do so. 
It's 45 minutes past the hour. Representative Andy Levin of Michigan, a member of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, is taking your calls for the hour in our National Progressive Town Hall meeting here on the Tom Hartman Program. We'll be back with more of your calls for Congressman Levin in just a moment. Stick around. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Levin.house.gov is his website. You can tweet him at Rep. Andy Levin. And welcome back. Pat in Columbia, South Carolina. You're on the air with Representative Levin. Hello, and thank you. Um, I wanted to ask you, it took McConnell eight days to run through uh, Supreme Court. And I cannot understand why y'all have to have bipartisan with them in order to run through um, this COVID um, project that y'all trying to run through. I don't understand that. Why y'all always trying to have them included in everything y'all do, and they'll walk right over y'all and get what they want. Please explain that to me. Thank uh-uh. you. Thank you, Pat. Pat, I'm, re- I'm ready to ask you to lead our political efforts. You are so right on. Um, really, the, the situation is that McConnell was able to approve judges in the Senate because it wasn't both the House and the Senate, and he controlled the Senate. And then they just went to Trump, and so he just put through all these right-wing judges. Um, Now the Biden administration has pledged to move much faster on judges, and I hope they do, and and they fill a lot of judicial slots. In terms of the COVID package... It's not like um, uh, approving judges because it's passing legislation through both the House and the Senate. And the Senate is tied 50 to 50 with the vice president being a tiebreaker. And I mean, in a way, Pat, the most straightforward thing to say is there are several Democrats in the Senate who are quite conservative and they don't want to vote for everything that we believe in. So um, then they have to be negotiated with because this, you know, uh, Senator Schumer, the majority leader, needs every single Democrat to vote for something if it's going to pass without Republican support. I, for one, would like us to be not, not treat bipartisanship as some kind of deity or some kind of main goal. I do a lot of bipartisan stuff. My watchword is justice, Pat. And I fight for justice. And when Republicans want to fight for justice with me, come on, let's go. And if they don't, get out of the way. That's my view. Matt in East Jordan, Michigan. One minute to the break, Matt. Quick one. What are we, what are we going to do with these militias? The militias shouldn't be just a collection of yahoos with some guns and a bad attitude. we got to have national hearings. If we're going to have these militias, and I think we should get rid of them, to define what a militia is, register them, and regulate them. Go ahead. Thank you, Matt. Great point, Matt. Um, I think what we need, we have to be careful, I think, about creating new legislation that might, you know, um, might contain people's civil rights in a way we don't like. However, the budget of the FBI and other uh, law enforcement agencies is way skewed towards international terrorism and away from domestic terrorism. That's what a lot of these militias are doing, and we need to put full resources into stopping them 
And as you say, we need a lot of hearings to throw sunshine onto this situation. These people are some kind of mix of white supremacists, anti-Semites, racists, xenophobes, neo-Nazis. Anybody can have their political views, but you can't start getting violent in this country to oppress minorities. And we have to take that on frontally. Representative Andy Levin taking your calls for the hour in our National Progressive Town Hall meeting. We'll be back with more of your calls for Representative Levin. His website, by the way, Levin, L-E-V-I-N dot house dot gov. You can tweet him at Rep Andy Levin. Stick around. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com Hartman. That's netsuite.com Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the Tom Hartman University Book Club. Today we're reading from the last hours of ancient sunlight. This is page 176. With few exceptions, most Native American cultures did not have our notions as part of their collective mythos. Instead of the story that we're separate from creation and born to nominate it, these older cultures held a different view of the place of humans in the order of creation. They believe we are part of the world. We are made of the same flesh as other animals. We eat the same plants. We share the same air, water, soil, and food with every other life form on the planet. We are born into life by the same means as other mammals, and when we die like them, we become part of the soil that will nourish future generations. They also believe it is our destiny to cooperate with the rest of creation. Every life form has its special purpose in the grand ecosystem, and all are to be respected, they believed. Each animal and plant has its own unique intelligence and spirit. We are permitted to compete with other plants and animals, but we may not wantonly destroy them. All life is absolutely as sacred as human life. Although hunting and killing for food are part of nature's order, when we do so, it must be done with respect and thankfulness. Older cultures are most often cooperators, not dominators. There are human cultures who do not engage in the destruction of the world. They demonstrate that destruction and domination are not an inevitable part of human nature. Prior to the emergence of younger cultures about 7,000 years ago, the anthropological record shows that not one culture believed itself to be separate from and superior to nature. 
We find the remnants of these older cultures and tribal people around the world, such as the San, the Kogi, the Ik of uh, Uganda, the Navajo, the Hopi, the Cree, the Ojibwa, living in harmony with the world around them, the people around them, and seeing all life as sacred. The San Bushmen don't even qualify as Stone Age, since they've never used stone implements, only tools made from wood. And yet they were successfully pursuing their way of life 40,000 years before Aristotle, and they still are. They leave behind few traces as they are such masters of resource management. That's sustainability. And contrary to the stories of our culture, it was and is often a happy and comfortable life. When we lived like that thousands of years ago, we enjoyed cradle-to-grave security. The tribe took care of itself. If anybody had food, everybody had food. If anybody had a diseased child or an infirm parent, everybody had a diseased child or an infirm parent. The measure of wealth in such societies was security. Medians of exchange like money were unnecessary. The idea of hoarding food or other things was unthinkable because everybody was responsible for everybody. Our ancient ancestors lived in the way of all other cooperator societies in nature, but be they the society of wolves or chimpanzees or prairie dogs, they looked out for one another. Our ancestors, people like you and me of all races and all continents, lived like this all over the world for 40 to 200,000 years, depending on whose archaeology you accept. And then there were eruptions among traditional cultures. In some parts of the world, people began to move away from their hunting and gathering lifestyle by experimenting with agriculture. This created more efficient food production, thus increasing their numbers and giving some people the ability to hoard food, the beginning of what we call wealth. Then a subgroup of the agriculturalists began experimenting with a new cultural idea of coercive or forced evangelism, of bringing others into their culture in a way that had never been done before. Their gods told them that if, if they couldn't evangelize others, then they should utterly destroy them. They were a very few, probably not more than a dozen tribes, which arose out of the tens of thousands of tribes that populated the planet. And this small number of tribes proceeded to wipe out and displace and destroy the thousands of other tribes who were living in a sustainable, peaceful, and connected to nature way. They left the garden and began to create dominating city-states and then empires. They were the first people infected with Wetiko, the origin of our younger culture. And because of this, they had become more efficient at increasing their own numbers. They had more sunlight under their own personal control. Of course, there was a price to pay for this. While the San, Kogi, Ik, and other native peoples may spend less than two to four hours a day gathering food and attending to the needs of life, and due to this day, by the way, in younger culture societies, this balance was radically shifted as average people must work longer and harder just to survive. Those who were the dominating individuals in the culture, however, could live luxuriously and work less and less. So for every person who only worked an hour or two a day, another person would have to work four or eight or ten hours a day or more. Without massive exploitation of resources or theft from others, for every person with ten times as much wealth, ten people must have only one-tenth as much. Social and economic classes were born, and the first governments came into being to define, order, and control the socioeconomic structure and help the wealthy maintain and increase their riches. Whether they knew it or not, these governments, mostly kingdoms in the early days, transmitted younger culture values to all citizens, rich and poor. The power brokers of this time programmed the consciousness of their subjects, just as our governments, educational institutions, and mass media do today. Nobody knows what brought about the first eruption of Wetiko cultural insanity, but logic suggests it was most likely happened in places where food resources were only cyclically abundant. For example, the Tinglet and Weida Native American tribes of the Pacific Northwest in the area around Vancouver Island were apparently extensive traders and owners of slaves. And this was because they could store food. 
This, this is where it all began, beginning wealth. Anyhow, the book is The Last Hours of Ancient Sunlight. This is just a small dip into it. Welcome back. Uh, Representative uh, Andy Levin is on the line with us, taking uh, your calls for the hour. And hey, Tom, uh, Kathy, can we break and, a little news? Yes. Sure, what's that? $15 an hour is in the House package. Ah, <laughs> it's in That's great. It's in there. <laughs> That's great. God bless you guys. So, so Bernie pulled it off, and uh, I'm so happy to hear that. Okay, Kathy in Madison, Wisconsin, you're on the air with Representative Levin. Thank you very much. Um, Longtime union here in 1966, member, officer, union co-founder. Um, just want to ask about the way the law is written, like National Labor Relations Act, Railway Labor Act. Basically, all of the labor laws have provisions that guarantee uh, workers' rights to concerted activities. And yet we see one court ruling, one NLRB ruling after another, constantly under, um, pardon me, eroding that right. And it seems to me that, um, well, I would ask you what you think Congress should do to get the law enforced the way it was meant to be. Kathy, that is a great point, and you are so right. It's a great question. Uh, let me just share my own experience. As I mentioned earlier, um, I worked at the AFL-CIO when we created the campaign for the Employee Free Choice Act in the aughts, as we say, that's what was uh, voted on, voted through the House in, in the late 2000s and failed in the Senate. In that bill, all we did was three things. You card check to form a union, meaningful penalties when employers violated workers' rights, and first contract arbitration. I want you to know that the law we intend to pass now, the Protecting the Right to Organize Act, goes way, way beyond that. It doesn't have card check. It has snap election. But it has the meaningful penalties, the first contract arbitration, gets rid of right to freeload, or what they call right to work, um, gets rid of the, the, a lot of the uh, thousand cuts you're talking about in terms of taking away rights from franchise workers, taking away rights from temps, uh, taking away rights from contracted workers. And it gives secondary uh, boycotting rights back. Um, it allows people to strike without being permanently replaced. It really looks at all the ways that they've taken away rights from workers and says, you know what, any worker in America should be able to form a union if they darn well please. The boss is not a party to it. They have nothing to say about it. And, Tom, what we're seeing right now in Bessemer, Alabama, is, shows why we need this. An overwhelmingly African-American workforce is having the first NLRB election ever in an Amazon warehouse. And Amazon is doing everything they can to crush this, down to having forced meetings, which would be banned in, uh, under the PRO Act. They are putting anti-union messages in the bathroom stalls. They even got the city to change the traffic light outside the facility so organizers can't talk to workers going in and out of the facility. And there was a traffic accident there because of the way they changed the light. I mean, this country has got to let workers form unions again. We're down to 6% of private sector workers having unions. 
The moment we change that is the moment that poor people and working class people start to get power again in this country, and it's long overdue. So, Kathy, we need you. Tom in Aurora, Colorado. We're down to about two minutes to the end of the uh, the end of the show, actually today. Tom, you're on the air with Representative Levin. Uh, good morning, Tom, Representative Levin. Uh, I was just calling to offer a suggestion to something I keep hearing as a problem. That is, the children are missing school. We know online education is at best second rate. Why don't we just work out a plan to run school? year-round for a while, help these kids catch up and get through. That was my suggestion and my offer. And thank you for your stance on labor. I appreciate that. Thanks, Tom. Well, there's a lot of serious talk about certainly at least having additional summer school uh, this coming summer. Um, I am for any kind of experiment that gives, gives kids more time. Um, I don't think I'm really for full, you know, all the time school, but I do think it'd be fine to have more school. All I'll say is teachers are workers who we don't give enough respect to, and uh, we, if we want to have a lot more time in class, we need to negotiate that in a fair way with teachers. But we are going to have a huge learning deficit, Tom, from this uh, pandemic, and it's very unequal in its distribution. And so we, it's, it's just a question of basic justice that we have to help uh, kids catch up who have, are falling behind because they haven't had their normal educational opportunity. Representative Levin, thanks so much for being with us today. It's been great meeting you and, uh, and, and talking with you. Thank you. Thank you. What a great show. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you very much. I hope you can come back. Representative Andy Levin, you can uh, find his website at levin.house.gov. You can tweet him at RepAndyLevin. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag your it. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great afternoon. Be good to yourself and the people around you. It's a really important time to... To, to hold some kindness as your mission. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.